Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll read verses 12 through 19. I'll review quickly, and we'll jump right in there at the end of verse 17. Father, help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, these people, some who are called by your name, some who are not. Father, may they hear. May they long. May they understand, may they embrace, may they be overwhelmed with the magnitude of what the Apostle Paul has given us in this text. Father, may it cut through all of the minutiae of this life that our society just bombards us with as we listen, as we drink deep, as we are overwhelmed with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to grasp this. Help us to spend the time wrestling with it. Help us to understand the power of this. Help us to understand the magnitude that it lays upon the souls of man. Help us, Father. Help us to hear. Help us to bow. Help us to walk in the power of the resurrection. Christ's name. Amen. Beginning at verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached and he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. Moreover, We are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men. Most to be pitied. In your outlines, I've broke this text down, these 12 through 19, into two main topics. One is the theological consequences, and the second is the personal consequences, and it deals with the importance of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, we gather today, and whoa, amen, brother, I believe that. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. I've celebrated Easter for as long as I can remember. I even got up a couple of times and went to a sunrise service. I understand the resurrection. Sure. Do you really? Do you really understand the resurrection? Because we dealt in the last few weeks, my last message is here, with the theological side of it. And basically, in these two main points, the theological consequences... And the personal consequences, there's seven points that come out of it. And we dealt with the first four, and the first four are theological. Now listen, a lot of times I watch Christians and you speak of theology and they all glaze. What? It's some of that ology stuff. That means the study of something. And I graduated. I don't study no more. I have my whatever. Well, 
A great man once said, the life that you actually live will be directly based on your view of your God. And I look at the body of Christ today and I see an absolute depravity, an absolute absent, an absolute non-existence of biblical theology. It's non-existent. And I say it that way because I have just spent three weeks uh, on a whole bunch of different places, listening to a whole bunch of different people preach, listening to a whole bunch of minutiae. It wasn't worth the time. And the reason was, is that they did not have a biblical theology. I had a chance to preach Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, at my mom's church. Guess what my topic was? I took the same topic. It was given to me, and I read this. Robert Murray McShane is my hero, probably my greatest hero. Young man who was credited with the Scottish um, revival. Uh, Reformation, whatever you want to call it. Um, They asked him if you could have one message to preach, only one message, what would you preach? And I remember reading that they did the same thing with Charles Hadley Spurgeon. One message, what would you preach? Martin Lloyd-Jones, they asked the same thing. I heard the same question asked of R.C. Sproul and of, of John MacArthur. And you know what's amazing? All gave the same answer. The holiness of God. I was given one pulpit time at my mom's church. I had some other teaching times, but one pulpit time. Guess what I spoke on? The holiness of God. Why? A biblical theology is what I spoke on. All right. And the theological consequences of a non-bodily resurrection is first and foremost, Christ didn't rise. If the dead do not rise, then guess what? Christ did not rise. He didn't have a bodily resurrection. He died. And when, I think it was a couple, about a year ago, they found a body, a burial box full of bones. And it said, these are Jesus' bones. And you know what? I did not hear a peep out of the evangelical community. Nobody said a word. Well, we don't know. We need to date it and stuff. What? I don't need to date it. The bones are gone. They're not in a box. They're seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Gee, many crickets. And, well, you know, it's just the archaeologists and we found. And you know what you find? Is that evangelicals believe that as the spirit of the dove came down upon Jesus at the Jordan River, then the spirit of the dove just took off and flew back to heaven when Jesus' body was buried. Well, let me tell you something. If that's true, the second theological problem that you have is that our preaching is useless. Let me, let me be specific about that. There is no good news. There's no gospel. And the third theological implication there is that your faith is absolutely empty. It is useless. And you know what? I see a whole bunch today who I would say, Amen, they've embraced it. Their faith is non-existent. There is no commitment to the faith. Look around, brothers and sisters, look around. I dealt with a church. I didn't deal with a church. I was exposed to a church while I was back in Ohio that was at one time was the largest Southern Baptist church north of the Mason-Dixon line. Built on biblical exposition. And the preacher retired. 
And they brought in a new preacher. And he got busted. Somebody dropped a dime on him. Praise God, it was with a woman. I think that's a step up for the pulpit. And you know what was amazing about it? He left the church, took 700 with him, and has started another church. What is the theological ramifications of that? Their faith is empty. Their faith has no commitment. And then the last thing that we looked at the last time I was here at the pulpit, guess what was the next? The apostles are liars. They're liars. Please understand what I'm saying there. They're not exaggerating the truth for the sake of emphasis. We hate to use that word today. Oh, you can't say that. No, they're liars. You know why? That makes it an abomination before God, according to the proverb that was read this morning. It is abomination. That's the theological implication if there is no bodily resurrection. If that box of bones that they found underneath that hotel thing that they were building in Jerusalem, if that box of bones is Jesus' bones, then first of all, Christ did not rise. Second of all, our preaching is absolutely useless. The gospel is non-existent entity. Your faith, if it is in the gospel, is no value whatsoever. And not only that, the apostles are a bunch of liars. Look at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He's reestablishing and restates the main point. What has happened to your theology will have an immediate consequence on you personally. The life that each and every one of you lives is based on your understanding of your God. What happens to you? If there is no bodily resurrection, what happens to us if there is no resurrection? If we deny the resurrection or one that I thought of and I've been hearing that's kind of out there today, we create the resurrection in our own image. Okay, what? what? We create it in our own image. Listen, I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. I have seen dead. So we will create a resurrection that fits our understanding of what does it mean for a bodily resurrection. And it can be a spiritual thing. It can be, and you don't think it ain't true? I know they're in heaven right now looking down on us. That's a resurrection created in your own image. You will not find that in the Bible. Why? They can't be doing that. Why? There's no sorrow in heaven. If I'm in heaven looking back down here, I'm thinking, oh my God, you poor buggers. And how can I be sorry in heaven? Well, you have a soul sleep. No, absent from the body, present with the Lord, not sleeping with Jesus. And where did psychology come in to the church if there is a resurrection? Let me tell you something. Science has not been able to raise the dead. Can't. So what problem do you really have? I watch Americans today, and you know what? I am watching what's going on in Russia. I'm watching what's going on in China. I know what's going on in Burma. I know what's going on in India. And some in the body of Christ today shame me. They are offensive to me to tell me that that is a problem. What you, well, you just don't understand. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have no fun. 
I'm stressed over this. I'm stressed over that. I remember talking to Pastor Paul. We were down walking through the Rocky Mountains. He looked at me one day and he said, do you have any predators in the mountain? I said, yeah, crazy people running around with guns. He says, no, I mean animals. I said, well, you make a rattlesnake ticked off. I mean, I don't think it'll kill you, but it'll make you wish you were dead. Every once in a while, a mountain lion, you'll freak it out. But I said, I don't know. He said, I said, how about you? And he says, tigers. I said, tigers? And he says, yeah. He says, they just like to attack people. I said, I mean, like kids? No, anybody. They just come out of the woods and take a person. I'm like, well, cool. I mean, I got a whole bunch I'd like to line up and feed. And you and I think about that. I paid a lot. I paid four ninety three for a, ga- a gallon for diesel in one spot that I stopped for. And Pastor Paul's paying nine bucks a gallon. And we got it tough. You really have issues? Well, you don't understand. I'm under a lot of stress. I'm under a lot of peer pe- peer pressure. I'm under this. I'm under that. Really? Well, you just don't understand what I'm going through. Well, let me ask you a question. God only raised Jesus from the dead. And your problem is what? But see, you live your lives in accordance to the view of your God. Listen, my God has the waters in the hollow of his hand and the span of his hand is creation. He knows the hairs on my head and he knows when every sparrow falls. And he raises the dead. I'm thinking he could handle it. The question is, do I trust him? Look what happens. When you negate the bodily resurrection, look at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, then he makes that statement again. Your faith is worthless. It is stupid. It is vain. It is of no value. You ain't got no, you can memorize the Bible, Genesis to Revelations. And if you do not believe what it states, your faith is useless. It will accomplish zero zip nada. Look what it says next. You're still in your sins. Okay, it's, it's kind of cool the way Paul lays this out in his context. Before our preaching is vain, now your faith is in vain. Why? Because what are you putting your faith in? I talked to several different pastors this little adventure I just got done with, and they all said the same thing. They all said the same thing. Dealing with ministering in the churches that they minister in, they all had the same thing. He says, there is a disconnect between what I preach and what the people live. I said, really? And the guys that I was talking to are orthodox expositors, preachers anointed of God. And they said, what my people do... And what my people hear are not the same. Really? And then he gave a couple of guys, give me illustrations of what they've dealt with in their church. And you know what it sounded like? Castle Rock. Castle Rock. Orthodox theology under the power of the Holy Spirit 
And the people walk away and live their lives according to their desires. When I watch the body of Christ have more followers to the lost than they do to what God's word says, there's a problem. And you know what it is? They're listening. They'll say, Amen. They'll shake their heads. And they'll, amen. I'll even give you here. Let me give you a I have 50 bucks someplace. But I don't believe what you're saying. I don't believe what you're saying. Preaching and faith are in vain then. You know, I hear people say, Well, where is everybody? It's summer. Where is everybody? You know what? The way some people live, I would just assume they not be guilty of hearing good, solid preaching. I remember talking to Valeri, and he said, Terry, I need you to pray for our church. We have 200 members, and we get together on Wednesdays, and we pray for a couple of hours. And he says, I can only get 175 people to come out for prayer. And I said, what do you want me to pray for you? <laughs> well, we, we need that other 25 people. Well, dude, you're doing 175. You're fine. Don't you worry about that, Bubba. You think about it. If I call for a night of prayer tonight, how many of you will be here? Well, you don't understand. This is my one night off. This is one money. Really? Do you believe in the resurrection? If Jesus didn't rise, do you know what happened? If Jesus didn't rise, I want to tell you personally. What happened? Sin killed him. And it held him dead. I listen to pastors and theologians and average Christians debate. Was it the Gentiles that killed Jesus or was it the Jews that killed Jesus? Oh, we all know that God gave him over to the hands. So it was God who killed Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. It was sin that killed Jesus. And it was the sin of the Gentiles and it was the sin of the Jews. Don't ever kid yourself. He died. He didn't die for his sins. He died for our sins. The sins of the world. For all time. For you and I. He died. He willingly went to the cross. Pure innocence. To the cross. And what problem you got? Sin killed him. If he didn't rise, guess what? Sin won. If he didn't rise, if dead don't rise to, to benefit us, our faith must be forgiven sin. Sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be vanquished. Sin has to be crushed. Sin has to be conquered. And if not, then there is no resurrection. Our faith must bring us to a place where we are delivered from the power of sin. And if your faith ain't doing that, then your faith this day is worthless. And you have a skewed view of the resurrection. Guess what? His resurrection that he has given to me has delivered me from the power of sin, has delivered me from the guilt of sin, has delivered me from the punishment of sin, and what more do I need in life? And if it doesn't do that, then you know what? Your faith is useless. 
absolutely useless. That's what he says, verse 17. Your faith is worthless, has no benefit, can't do anything, it's empty. If Christ isn't raised, your faith is useless. Your faith is stupid because it doesn't do anything with sin. And if it can't deal with sin, what good is it? I was talking to a Muslim and I remember him saying that, yes, they believe in sin. Well, how are you forgiven of sin? Well, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I hope I do enough good things that way, the bad things, and when Allah sees me, then I will not be judged eternally to hell. What kind of faith is that? You can put your faith in that? A finger crossing? Oh, God, I hope he lets me in. Listen, the wages of sin for us is what? Can anybody deny that? I've never seen anybody get out of this bugger alive. That is an eternal death. That is a spiritual death. When... Adam ate of the fruit. God said, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. And everybody said, well, yeah, it was like 600 years later. No, 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 no. It's instantaneous. The spiritual death Adam had was instantaneous. Why? He thought he could go hide from God. That's pretty much spiritually dead. If Christ couldn't handle it and he couldn't overcome it, then we'll have to do it ourselves. We have to pay the price. And if we have to pay the price, then our faith is useless. If there's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then he did not conquer sin. Sin conquered him. It killed him and kept him dead. There is no reconciliation. There's no justification. There's no salvation. There's no eternal life. If there is no resurrection. That's to you personally. If Christ is still dead, then every believer is still dead in trespass and sin. And you know what? I see believers who live in the power and the authority of sin. And you know what? I can look at you and I get into trouble with this. And I look at you and say, your faith is worthless. You know what that means, right? You're not saved. Okay, in case... well. I'm saved, but I just have a worthless faith. No. (laughs) If your faith is worthless, then guess what? You ain't saved. And I don't care what you believe theologically. As long as Christ, our surety, is held by Satan, as long as death, he's held by death and he's not released, then there's never been a release from the debt then it's never been paid. Okay, if the debt, sin against God has never been paid, you know what that means? You and I are liable. We have to pay it. We have to pay it. Chapter 4 of Romans, verse 25, He was delivered over for our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Did you get that? There is no justification if He's not raised. There's none. He's raised for our justification. He came out of the grave. We are united with Christ in his death. Are we not? If he is still there, guess where we go? To the grave. But if he came out of the grave, we do too. And guess what? 
Every Christian should walk in the newness of life. You know what that means, right? Your salvation should be evident to everybody you bump into. It's an interesting concept, don't you think? I mean, you know, it's amazing. I was going back through this letter. I didn't get to do as much reading as I wanted to on this little trip, but thats I got to do enough. It's God's sovereign. Speaking of Christ, he's already mentioned this. Chapter 1, verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, the righteousness of sanctification and redemption. Your sanctification, your righteousness, your redemption all came from where? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, he can't do any of that for us if he ain't alive. Correct? He can't do a thing for us. Acts chapter 4. Verse 12. Peter, he he was so narrow-minded in his preaching. And there's salvation in no one else. Gosh, that's so narrow. If there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You know what that means, right? Salvation is in him, and if he can't pull it off, we're dead. Because Peter says, you know what? There's no salvation in any other name. There's no other way to get saved. See, it's true of him and everyone else. If he didn't rise, we're done. Do you understand that? See, there's two elements to this. I want. I, I think we miss sometimes. If Christ didn't rise, first element, if Christ didn't rise, he didn't pay the pen, penalty of sin in full. It's not paid. All right? Um, if the penalty's not paid, then how does he come back and grant us life? There isn't. He can't. So... When I look at the body of Christ today, I ask a simple question. Who's ruling, Christ or sin? Sin killed him if he didn't rise. Okay, if he didn't rise. Now listen, there's some churches out there that I'm thinking Christ didn't rise. There are some individuals that I deal with that I believe that Christ didn't rise. Because sin has more authority, more power over them than Christ does. Second thing is, if he didn't rise, he's not alive today to intercede for us. All right, to to keep cleansing us, to, to keep forgiving us. I don't know about you guys. I need to be kept clean and I definitely need to be kept given forgiveness. I, I remember a John Bunyan quote. Everybody know who John Bunyan is? Pilgrim's Progress, a few other odds and ends. He made this quote, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase, but you'll get the gist of it. My most righteous prayer is sinful enough to condemn the whole world. My most righteous prayer is sinful enough to condemn the whole world. 
I'm glad that I have an intercessor. I'm glad that I have a great high priest. I'm thrilled. In Romans chapter 5 verse 10. Apostle Paul tells us. For for while we were enemies. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Okay his death reconciled us. But look what. Much more having been reconciled. We shall be what? Saved by what? By his life. His death paid the penalty. His life gives us life. Okay? And you know what? I look at Christians today, and there's some have entered the first. They have never entered the second. They live dead. They have a dead faith, an empty faith that has no ability to do anything in it. They have orthodox theology. Very orthodox theology. But they're dead. Absolutely dead. You know how I can spot it? Sin has more authority in their lives than Christ does. It's really easy to see. Why? They look just like the world. They can just speak really good Christianese. Listen, if he couldn't save us, then he can't keep on saving us if he didn't rise. That's why it's so important that we believe that he rose. Now then, I want to conclude this message with just a little thing that I found that just fascinates The stew out of me. Well, it does. And it comes from a message that Peter preached in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. I'm going to read you the text and I'm going to show you what just fascinated the stew out of me. Okay. You've heard the message before, but I bet you haven't heard it this way. Okay. No, I'm not adding to scripture or twisting it. Here's what it says. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We like that, don't we? Especially when we're breaking the speed limit and weird stuff like, Well, I'm not paying my taxes because there's... Never mind. (coughs) We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you have put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince and as savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. I like this text. This text has things in it that will absolutely blow you away. We should obey God. Duh. Why? Rather than men. Why? Because it was the God of our fathers who raised Jesus. There's the resurrection, right? God exalted him by raising him. And then it makes a statement here. This is a New American Standard. It says, the prince, as prince and as savior. And I've seen people say, well, what he means is he's like Adonai, he's Lord and all the rest of it. And you know what? I went back and looked at the original term and it ain't none of those. Archegos. That's the word. Archegos. I was like, what the heck is that? That ain't even the word that we translate prince. It's Archegos. It literally means a forerunner or one who cuts a trail. But you know what it really, the literal Greek means? Grab a hold of this. An Archegos was a sailor on a ship. But he was a unique sailor and every ship had one. 
And he was called the Archegos. You know what he was? He was the strongest swimmer on the ship. The Archegos. And if the ship got into peril in a tremendous storm, it was the Archegos' responsibility to tie a rope around his waist, jump out of the ship, and swim to the shore and secure the line on the shore so that the crew could get on the line and follow the line hand over hand to the security of the shore. That's the term Peter uses in this message that Jesus Christ is our Archegos. He is the one who went through the waters of death and led the line so that all that would be saved will do what? Hand over hand to the shore. The forerunner. The one who cut the path. The one who overcome drowning. The one that the waters of death could not defeat. And that's what Peter's saying in this message. He is our Savior. Why? Because he's our Archegos. We were all sinking. We had no way to survive. And he got out of the boat, swam to the shore, secured the line. Now we have to follow. The waters of death could not hold him. And now we follow. If Jesus drowned, guess what? You know what's so cool about the ark of God? There was always just given a matter of time that you hoped that he had secured the line. Because if you're in a bad storm and it's night, how do you know? You can't tell the tension on the rope. The ship is being bannered around. But you put your faith in that Archegos, the strongest swimmer on your ship, and then you get on that rope and you start hand over hand. And if he didn't make it, guess where you end up? Just as dead as him. Here's the difference. Jesus made it. He ain't there. We're saved. But you know what's kind of cool about it? I think about who wrote that? Peter said this. Who got out of the boat? Who got out of the boat? Now, don't try to get too much theological out of it, but when I found Archegos, I sat there going, figures, Peter, Peter in this water thing. If Jesus didn't rise, then sin killed him. And it'll kill us. Nobody's interceding for us now, and there's no difference. If the dead don't rise, Jesus didn't rise. But you know what? There's a reason that Peter gave him the name Archegos. Because he was the strongest to ever get out of the boat. St. Peter who said, you know what? There is no other name by which men will be saved. Let me ask you a question. I guarantee you that everybody in this room right now believes in the resurrection. I I guarantee it. Amen, brother. I love it. You get to the middle of eggs and the chocolate rabbits. I believe in the resurrection. 
Would anybody who cursorily bounced into you, who guts know you, a neighbor, a loved one, a co-worker, or anything like that, know that you believe in the resurrection and that you're on the line to the shore? Do you live, does your life show the power of the resurrection? And I, using the word power of the resurrection is kind of an understatement, isn't it? I mean, resurrection from the dead, power. <laughs> Man has not been able to do that power. So it's, it's you know, like quantum physics. Is that your faith? Or does your faith look empty? Listen, I'm 51 years old. I've never met a person in my life who does not have faith. Never have. Everybody in this room has faith. And you know what? Everyone in this room, I've seen your faith. But ask yourself a question. When people see your faith, do they see the power of the resurrection? Do they see the true Archegos Savior? Or do they see a faith that is no different than any businessman, no different than any politician, no different than any other person who is crawling around on this planet hoping they do more good things than bad things and that God takes care of them? Because I got news for you. Everybody on this planet is going to look at death. You get it. It's a free gift. But whatever your faith in is going to tell you we're going to go through that death. And I've seen people who have been in evangelical churches, Bible preaching churches all of their life, and at their deathbed, they were afraid. And you know what you tell me when you do that? Empty faith. Empty faith. It's just like talking to the pastors that I talked to in this last three weeks. There's a disconnect from the biblical exposition explaining God's word and the lives that the people live in. And you know why? We don't get out of the boat. You're in a storm. Sucker may be sinking, but I ain't getting out. You know what you just said? I don't trust the Archegos. And if you don't trust him, then guess what? Pay it yourself. Hate yourself. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for my brother Peter, and I look so forward for that day that I get to see him. Father, I thank you for your book. And Lord, what it does to my soul, how it helps me. Father, I am not worthy. Father, I I so often wonder why you ever even saved me. Yet, Lord, I've seen your resurrection power. Father, help me to rest there. Help my brothers and sisters to rest there. And then, Father, after we have rested, help us to stand in the power of your resurrection, the mercy of your resurrection, the glory of your resurrection, the exaltation of your resurrection, and may our faith be beyond our understandings to the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords in Christ's precious name. Amen.